Welcome back to Pottery Visited, episode 11. Today we are discussing chapter 11 of Philosopher's Stone, titled Sports! Quidditch, <laughs> but also Sports! <laughs> and today's a really fun episode because we have a, our first special guest who just happens to be my sister. What? Nepotism! What's up? What's up? So this is my sister, Brittany. She's hello, here. Hello. She's here with me, mostly because when she was in university, she played Muggle Quidditch on her school team. So Brittany, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, as Tori said, my name's Brittany. Uh, I'm a retired Quidditch player from the University of Guelph. Many, I don't actually know if I got a concussion, but I probably, probably. did. <laughs> Definitely sp- a sprained an ankle, but that's about it. Um, and I'm also a, a so retired Quidditch player and then a very current tired nurse. I'm so tired. Claps for Brittany for doing doing the real job for all of us that <laughs> are working from home. <laughs> it's, it's all real work. We're all tired. It's been a long... Long two years? Long two years. <laughs> right. Going back to Harry Potter, what is your favorite Harry Potter character? It would be Luna Lovegood. Solid choice. Solid choice. No one's going to judge you on that one. Good choice. Good yeah. choice. And your favorite book? would be the first book she's in, so Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix is a big book, but it's also actually really good. I really overlooked it as a kid because it was so humongous, but... Yeah, that's true. And of course, what house you're in? Hufflepuff, the first. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I thought you were a Gryffindor. So did I, yeah. but no, apparently she's Hufflepuff. When did this, when did this happen? Yeah, when I took the test. I, I think I've been, I think I took the, we all took the test at some point when I was in university... And I, always, I think I always, when I read the books, I said I was Gryffindor. Because I don't know, you just, yeah. I just was going along with the protagonist. Um, but then after the test, it was like Hufflepuff. And I was like, oh, actually, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Loyal, hardworking. <laughs> mm-hmm. That checks out. And of course, how you got into Harry Potter, which I feel like you're going to drag me. Drag her. Uh, maybe a little bit, to be honest. Um, it's okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I got out of Harry Potter because of you. <laughs> Because it was kind of your thing, was Harry Potter. Like, yeah. everyone knew t- Harry Potter was Tori's thing. I watched the movies with yeah. you, and I, like, enjoyed it. But I never read the books until at, at some point in, in high school, I gave me the... Someone, you either you gave me the books, or someone was like, you know what, you should just read it. So I was like, yeah, I have time to kill. You know what, I'm done with my homework. So I started... I read the whole series within, like, the last year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually almost... Almost got my first attention being late to class because I was reading Harry Potter. I think it was the last book. And I, I read through uh, the first spell and I look up and there's no one in the hallway. And I like <laughs> run to the classroom. And I think I made it into the door frame before O Canada started playing. Oh, and I was just, uh, my teacher was just like looking at me sternly and I just hold up the book and I point to it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And then she just nods and she didn't give me attention. She, I was like, she yeah, got it. Beauty. Many of the times. That checks out. I feel like all of us can relate to almost missing something because you were busy reading. I used to read it on the way to work on the subway, and on, sometimes I'd almost miss my stop. Tori, you, you missed parts of our family vacation because you were reading. It's true. <laughs> I never really missed things because I find, like when I read the seventh, which is probably the one that while I was reading, I couldn't put down. I was at my cottage, so there was like no internet or anything, and I like read it in like a tree, you know, because it felt special so really i couldn't be late for anything except maybe dinner from my spot in the tree what she was referring to is i got the sixth harry potter book i went to the minute release at like 11 or 12 and then we went on vacation the next day so i just spent the whole time reading it. i read it like on the way there the four hour drive and then we got there my parents are pretty stern about like when i could read it so i couldn't have it with me in my room at night because they thought i would stay up reading it and then they were on a beach so they wanted me to go do stuff but like whenever we had free time at the house i would read it so it took me like about like three days to read it, and that's like my dad would always take it from me at night and put it on the mantelpiece, and I couldn't re- take it to my room or anything. Yeah, you hate Tori. I didn't write you. Out. I yeah. knew you were reading at night. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. I kept my mouth shut. How very Hufflepuff of you. <laughs> I remember at one point when I was older, I guess reading one of the books, rereading. It wasn't even the first read at bedtime, and my mom came in and was like, "Oh, good night." I'm like, "Oh, good night," and then I read, and then my mom came in again, and she's like, "Oh, wow, you're up early," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> And she's like, yeah, it's like 7.30 a.m. And I used to sleep in back then, I guess. And I'm like, but I, yeah, uh, yep, woke up early. (laughs) Whoops. Sometimes you lose time. Books are great because you can time travel. (laughs) All right, jumping into our little discussion. Our first point is uh, Lee Jordan's commentary. I love Lee Jordan's commentary. I love an announcer who 
has a personality and catchphrases and really brings something to the sport so that you want that announcer to be announcing. And I think most of the time Lee Jordan does, even as a Slytherin. My team is the one he's shit talking, but I really enjoy it. It's it's very funny. And I love it. I don't love that he like brings up how attractive Angelina is because as a big supporter of women's sports, I hate when people think that a woman playing sports is an excuse to talk about how attractive she is because it's not. Yeah. But besides that, I really love his commentary. I think he's hilarious. You know, nasty, disgusting attempt to murder the Gryffindor Seeker that could have happened to anyone. I think it's really enjoyable. It's so funny that he's so obviously biased and McGonagall, we know McGonagall is a very strict teacher, but she also kind of is like really into Quidditch specifically for her team. So they're like, he kind of says stuff and then she kind of lets it slide. But it's very interesting that they let like a student commentate it because, you know, all the students are kind of biased to their houses. Well, they let the students take turns. I know in a later book they let Luna commentate and that is a wild ride. Yeah, I can't wait till we get to Luna commentating because that's just something else entirely. I don't think we had commentators in like Muggle Quidditch till later because they started filming the games later. Yeah. Um... I could agree that it's it's still very biased. Yeah. You're very, if, especially if it's like your team you're watching. Yeah, it just kind of comes along with the, the territory. Yeah. In the topic of like making it more fair and logical, it seems like a better choice might have been to still use students, but to select a student from one of the two houses not involved in the game. So if it's Slytherin, Gryffindor, have a Hufflepuff or a Ravenclaw narrator and vice versa, just so it's slightly less blatantly biased, but... yeah. <laughs> I also know that, like, the Gryffindor personality really speaks to wanting to announce things, so. Maybe Dumbledore just encourages the the rivalries. So one thing I had about Lee Jordan before we move on is that he seems to be the only Quidditch commentator in, like, the whole series. So I was wondering, like, um, how did he get the job and, like, why is, like, why is he the only one commentating? Like, it would make sense, I guess, for more students to commentate and, like, kind of rotate. Because they kind of do that in later books when they try to replace him. Like, I know Zachariah Smith, uh commentates and Luna commentates. So I don't know how, I just wonder how he got the job. I mean, I'm sure originally it was probably like in my mind, like an audition process. Like they had a couple kids who were interested, sign up and go try out. And they just like read a script of a fake Quidditch game, you know, or watched a minute of Quidditch and then had to describe it. But I feel like someone like Lee Jordan is exactly what people actually want because it's entertaining. And he's like a color commentator rather than just play by play. Yeah. And I think color commentary adds a lot to sports. So I think it's, he's good at it. He's biased, but he's good at it. I think especially it's easier for first years that are muggle born and have never seen Quidditch before. Cause he definitely more so describes like kind of like it in a more fun way than just besides like, like just like the sports numbers. Cause I, I think I'll say this later, but I really don't like sports, especially I don't really like watching sports, but reading this was actually really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Is Lee in his... In his first year? No, Lee is uh, Fred and George's friend. So oh, he's like their okay. age. Because I was going to say, um, I could totally see like Dumbledore like sitting beside Lee or something during a game and just like listening to him. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then being like, here's a job, kid. <laughs> Very Dumbledore. You love Gryffindor. Perfect. You're hired. Maybe that's how it happened. You can see it now. It's like Fred and George's tryout for the team and Lee's there just more his friends and he's... Uh, He's commentating their tryout, and someone's just like, you know what? You're great. You're hired. I think people in general love an overly emotional, like, biased, hilarious commentator. Like, people like, I'm a hockey fan, and there's Steve Dangle, who has a podcast that mostly focuses on the Leafs, and he loves the Leafs, but talks about hockey in general. And even when he shit talks the Habs, I enjoy listening to him because he's so funny, and you know he's biased, so having him rip on your team is fine, you know? Because you know he goes home and cries about his team. So I think it it's just something people like. The extra razzle-dazzle in the game that co- color commentary brings. All right, moving on to our next section. Just some things that happened in the series before we get into our Quidditch discussion. So we have some Snape points to start us off. I always, always have Snape points. Ooh. Always. Um, oh, I'm going to fight you through the screen. <laughs> For the screen, I gave Snape another uh, sucks count because he took Harry's book and wouldn't give it back and probably made up that rule that he couldn't have it outside just to be a dick. I mean, it's winter, right? Is it not winter when this is happening? Is it cold out? It's it's November. It's not winter yet. It's November. Well, it's winter in Canada. <laughs> like, maybe he didn't want the book to get 
snow in it and then melt and then have the book be a mess. I mean, didn't Hermione bring books into that girl's bathroom? I feel like that's more... She shouldn't have done that either. That's really not the place for books. Infection control (laughs) issue. I don't know. I just felt like Snape was in a bad mood being a dick. And he's like, you know what? I want to give Harry some trouble and just made something up. You think with, like, magic, like, there'd be a way for the books not to get ruined by snow. Probably. I'm sure there is. I highly doubt they put any spell like that on the books because Hogwarts doesn't make any sense. But, uh... (laughs) I think it's a good idea. But I kind of get no books outside as a library rule. Like, just imagining, like, the price of books. I don't know. Seems just a dick. (laughs) Gets a point. I mean, yes. Yes, he's a dick. But... But he's respecting books. You know, I'm not going to be mad at him for respecting books. It's it's for the love of books. Is it for the love of books or is it just to spite? It's just to spite Harry. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Bitter guy. Go to therapy. Oh, my God. Go We've been over it. He needs therapy. I know. So interesting enough, at the end of the book, Harry thinks that Snape's, it's obviously Snape is the one that he tried to get past Fluffy. So obviously he's after whatever it's guarding. And he bets his broomstick that it's Snape. I'm like, Harry, you bet your broomstick on the wrong person. Yeah. Oh, no, not the Nimbus 2000. But it's so beautiful. I, uh, I just think Snape is just back at it again with the blatantly obvious red herring. You know, he's just red herring it up, being shady as heck. But like, it's so obvious that he's not the bad guy because they're trying so hard to make it obvious that he is. There's no way he would be getting away with anything if he were that blatantly the bad guy. Like, even if Dumbledore's an idiot who ignores things, someone like Minerva McGonagall would notice Snape trying to murder Harry Potter. If, you know, it's because they know he's not a bad guy that he gets away with this. He's, he's fine. He just doesn't help himself making himself look so bad. Also on my state topics, it's, uh, who he chooses to have look at his leg wound, I find to be an interesting choice. Filch is the wrong choice when you have a wound from a magical beast. Maybe he just happened to be there, because they're in the staff room, right? So maybe he went in there to, like, bandage himself, and then, uh, Filch just happened to be there. Yeah. But Filch is like the squib. What is he going to do? What is Snape just being a normal dude? Like, yo, look at my scar. Well, I don't think Snape would actually like ask him because I think he's bandaging he it. He's not showing it yeah. off. So I feel like Snape isn't the type to ask for help. It makes it sound like he's like presenting his leg. Like when I've just shaved my legs for the first time in six <laughs> months and I walk around like, hello, everybody. That's how it feels. That just adds a whole new like layer to that scene. <laughs> Snape showing off his legs. Do we think Snape shaves his legs? Uh, who knows what Snape does? <laughs> we'll find out in therapy. <laughs> we all need therapy now. I really want to draw that now. Just normal Snape, like, seductively sticking his leg out. That that time Beyonce wore that dress with a slit. And just, like, seductively <laughs> from his robes. Right, moving on from Snape, we ha- we meet, we get more of Oliver Wood's character here. Which is basically just Quidditch is his whole personality. And I love it. Which is fair. I've met a fair few athletes in my day, and I can confirm that a lot of them are like, who needs a personality when I have sport? Sport is my personality. Ask me about myself. Hockey. (laughs) So he's giving a speech, and apparently he gives the same speech all the time because Fred and George memorized it, and Harry gets the feeling that it's like, we we need to win or else. And it's just like, the more we see of him in the next three books, it's just like, that's his whole thing. He doesn't really care about what's going on. All he cares about is his Quidditch team. I don't care who's trying to kill you as long as you win the Quidditch game first. (laughs) Yep, all that matters. Again, very realistic for the sporting world of muggles as well. We don't care how hurt you are. Especially since we know that Oliver is a pretty serious athlete. I think at the end of, in the fourth book, they mentioned that he's a reserve player for a professional team. So he's definitely, like, very serious about what he does. But it's just so funny, like, he's just being so serious to these kids. And then usually he's told that by McGonagall for, like, caring more about... Like, the game than, like, students' lives. Yeah. <laughs> See, our team was... Was it similar? Yeah. Similar. Yeah, well... I mean, it's his future, right? I mean, he probably planned to be a Quidditch player when he grew up. So, the way other kids study and value learning or attending classes, he values Quidditch. He doesn't even value, like, lies. He's like, i die for this game. Yeah, yeah he probably would. Like, we'll... My first year, we had uh, co-captains. So the one captain was like an ex-football player. He's very like, we got to win, got to do our drills, got to get in shape, got to do this, this, this. And then our other captain was like, we're a team. Let's go drink together. Let's try to win, but also have fun and make some good tackles. And yeah, it was a nice balance. I think we just kept 
having co-captains because then you yeah. always got a good balance of like you don't have like the difference because there's definitely a difference of like we have uh, Oliver who's the Quidditch captain he's very much like live or die Quidditch and then Angelina kind of tries to adapt that and I feel like she and she also I feel like she also has the pressure of being like, the, like a female captain as well yeah and and she has Umbridge deal too and then we have Harry who's I guess trying to do like the best of both worlds but I feel like Harry's more Locks. And also, he had a lot going on back then, too, when he was captain. <laughs> he was a little bit busy. Harry has, always has a lot going on. He's very, yeah, he's got a lot. He had his love life. He had Voldemort. He had Dumbledore. His love life with Voldemort. His love life with Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> now, we'll talk more about Quidditch later. Let's move into Hermione and her oh, magical Hermione. ability. Because we really get a signs that Hermione's very um, gifted in how like intelligent she is with magic and like what she's doing now that she's friends with Harry and Ron. Just in this chapter alone, she's doing really complex magic. I mean, she's got the blue flames, which to me is an advanced spell, especially for Harry, who doesn't do any magic in this entire book, pretty much. Uh, It's good that she is doing something that sounds so advanced and cool, but then, like, it's not even serious for her. It's like a casual thing she does just to keep warm, which shows how comfortable and confident she is with that spell. And then also, even with the color-changing charm, she puts on the uh, Go Harry Go sign. The banner. Yeah, exactly. And... Also, just how intuitive Hermione is, not even magically. Like, even though she defended Snape when Harry was accusing him of all kinds of tomfoolery, in this moment, when Harry's in danger, she's like, could be Snape, probably Snape, I'm gonna handle the situation. And it's such a badass Hermione moment. Yeah, the fact that she knew to look into the crowd and she could see Snape do speaking, she's like, oh, this has to be a curse. And yeah, I feel like being with Harry and Ron, she's definitely picked up more about um, their kind of influence since Ronnie's very uh, book smart and they're they're very um they're very Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, they're all very Gryffindor in their own ways. But it's definitely cool to see how Hermione kind of becomes like in their group, how she kind of picks up on the things that they would pick up on and she's kind of like melding into the little golden trio. Yeah. She definitely uh I mean, they're all smart enough to see something bad is happening, but it really takes Hermione to be like we must find the cause of the bad that is happening. And thank goodness <laughs> because they would have all just died if it wasn't Hermione. Like, already, Harry dead, book one, the end. We should probably sort of count how many times Hermione saves everyone by being yeah, smart. Yeah, it should be Hermione. That's a fun count. It's a book about Hermione and how she saves everyone all the time. Or tries to talk Harry out of doing things that he shouldn't dumb, be doing. Dumb boy things. Yeah. No, Harry. And then I also love the gentle foreshadow that Hermione knocks Quirrell over on her way to get to Snape. Which, again, is same as, like, Harry getting the weird feeling from Snape as he looks past Quirrell's turban. Like, it's pretty well done in that point. But also really funny that she knocks him over and he falls head first, because that means Voldemort smashing his face off of, like, the bleachers. And it's beautiful. Good job, Hermione. Yeah. I love that. Good for Hermione. She basically punched Voldemort in the face with a bench. You know? And I love that for her. <laughs> Back to Harry and Ron. Since they're friends of Hermione now, they know that Hermione's, like, they're doing better in school because Hermione's helping with, with their homework. So I was wondering, are they taking advantage of her? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> If they do say that, that she would never let them copy her homework, even though they asked her. She says, you'll never learn that way, which is true. But that she does check their homework after to help them out. Okay, so they, I wonder if she checks it or she corrects it. Like, if she goes through their homework and, like, says this one, this one, and this one are wrong, try again. That's helpful. But if she goes through their homework and says, ooh, you got four, it's seven, scribbles out the four and puts a seven. I feel like it's the first one, because her money's very obvious that she, she will help you, but she doesn't want to do it for you. Because she's all about, you need to learn how to do something. I mean, I think it's taking advantage either way, but I think it's better if she's just telling them what's wrong so they can try again rather than just giving them correct answers. I do feel like that she likes helping them because I feel like this is the first time she has friends now. She spent like the first two weeks of school having no friends. And this is the first time she's kind of been accepted into their their like group. And so this is somewhere that she can help them. Because they, they also just saved her life last chapter. So it's kind of being like, okay, you saved my life. We're friends now. So I'm going to, I know I'm good at this. So I will help you. Yeah. And again, it's Hermione sort of finding her place in the world and in the friendship. She's like, this is the good thing I'm good at. And I get to contribute it to them and they need it. And so it makes her feel more a part of the group and more needed and wanted because she can offer that. Fill that void in their ability to do basic work. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about Hermione as my favorite character is, like, I say she's a goody-two-shoes character, especially in the first book. But when she goes bad, she goes all the way. Like, she goes off the charts. Like, she could have done anything to distract Snape, but she lit him on fire. 
<laughs> that was her thought. And you see this in the other books. Like, Hermione has very Slytherin tendencies. Like, when she goes bad, she's like, I'm going all the way. Like, yeah. So a number of times where she does something and she's like, we need to do this. And it's like way off the line. That's why she'd be an excellent Slytherin. She's so, she knows the right time to make the wrong choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's very selective and it's excellent. And I also sort of like, in regards to the fire, that they tell us she can do the fire earlier on. So they've like primed us to know Hermione can do make magic fire beforehand, before she lights Snape on fire. Because it's like, look at Hermione taking basic-ish spells and weaponizing them against teachers. Yeah, honestly. Hermione's a menace. Like, Voldemort should be scared. Yeah, shaking in his cloak. Does he even wear boots? <laughs> I have no idea. Does he shoes? I'd like to think he's not barefoot. Do wizards even care about shoes? I mean, certainly. I mean, there's that whole scene where Ginny ties Harry's shoes. Oh, no, that's in the bad movie. Don't talk about that. I, I like to think Voldemort wears shoes just because I don't want to think about Voldemort's feet. Yeah, feet are kind of gross. He probably would have long toenails. Ew. I'm just saying. Yeah, they'd probably curve down into the mud. Isn't that what they kind of did with the fourth movie when they made Voldemort? He had really long fingernails and stuff. I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, fresh manicure. So one of the interesting things in this chapter is it's kind of the perspective in this chapter kind of flips around. So in this book, there's a, um, I guess the author is kind of figuring out what they kind of wanted to do because we obviously have the first chapter is not, it's in Vernon Dursley's perspective and then it flips kind of to like Dumbledore McGonagall's perspective. And most of the Harry Potter books are in, in third perspective, but they're in Harry's, it's we get Harry's thoughts and feelings. But this chapter goes from, we get Harry's perspective on the Quidditch pitch, but then we get Hermione and Ron's um, perspective being in the stands. And that's how we kind of like, it kind of flips back and forth. And it's only a few times in the Harry Potter books after this that we kind of get opening chapters usually in different perspectives. So I noted in Goblin Fire, we have the Riddle House. In Half-Blood Prince, we have the other minister. And in Deathly Hollows, we have the, um, I can't remember what the chapter title is, but we have going into Malfoy Manor with Voldemort. So it's just kind of interesting to see like, I feel like the author's kind of figuring out how she wanted to. She kind of probably maybe could, didn't want to um, be focused on Harry because she had to so, show how, like, how they stopped Snape or Snape in quotations. But it's interesting to see like, how the different perspectives kind of played a part here. Because we don't really get Ron or Hermione's perspective like in any other books, really. Yeah, it's not it's not a common thing to get. But uh, it's an interesting choice early on, too. Because Harry's... We still get other perspectives, but it's so consistently Harry's for the majority of the time in all the other books. It's interesting how many times in this book it isn't Harry's. Yeah, I feel like since it's the first book, she's the author is trying to like figure out how to um, show us things. But, but uh, in, I guess in the other books, she got better at uh, being able to show us things, but still stay in Harry's perspective. But in this book, it kind of flips back and forth because there are things you need to know. And she wasn't wasn't able to convey that with just Harry. Because Harry doesn't know a lot. <laughs> like, you would know, have no idea what's going on whatsoever at any point ever if it was just Harry's perspective in this book because he's not, he doesn't know things. Harry doesn't know what's going on half the time. He's just doing his best. Harry isn't really a, a prominent player in his own life. He is very often just having the things done to him or being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> he's just floating along. <laughs> he's just pushed around wherever Dumbledore wants him to be. Or pretty much. Or just at at the whim of these powerful men. Poor yeah. guy. Well, moving to Hagrid, I just feel so bad for this poor guy because he has these three kids that are harassing him for information. There's no hope. And Hagrid cannot keep a secret for the life of him. Yeah. And they're just they're just telling him like, oh, it was Snape. And he's like, no, 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 that's not it. And then they're just like harassing him and harassing him for pressing him for information. And Harry's getting like doing it on purpose because he knows that Hagrid will slip up. And of course, at the end of the chapter, we get the Nicholas Fumel name drop. And poor, I'm like, I just said that they're going to lead him to drink. So I'm assuming once they left, Hagrid had a drink because yeah. damn kids. I'm sure he had one before they arrived and he might have been having one while they were there. Yeah, we have a common theme that Hagrid's an alcoholic in the series that we didn't notice because there were a lot of references to him drinking. I mean, he's surrounded by children, so who wouldn't want to yeah. drink? I mean, that's kind of fair. Yeah, that checks out. All right, moving on to our big discussion for this chapter is Quidditch, obviously. Sports. Let's talk about Quidditch. Itch. So I've written here that I'm not a sports person, but I've always really enjoyed reading the Quidditch matches in the book, which surprises me because like they're I like how they're all different and they're all exciting in their own way, and they all kind of show different showcase different things. Like Harry loses a match even though they caught the snitch and stuff, and it's all very like they're all very interesting. But I can see how they'd be like a really big like thing to write. 
it's a lot of physical things happening, both a bunch of different people at once. And there's almost like a one or two Quidditch matches per a book. And obviously the last book didn't have Quidditch, but all the, the six, for six books, that's like a lot of Quidditch matches that all have to be different. I wonder if the author like watched a sports game and was like, I'll just base it off that play. Okay, the defender passes it to the forward, the forward goes forward, passes it to the right winger, right winger scores. And you watch some U- UK football. Yeah. Right, UK football. AKA soccer. <laughs> I also find it very interesting that the snitch is worth 150 points because it makes all the other goals so insignificant. Like you could score 149 goals, one person on the other team catches the snitch and they win. It's bananas. Yeah, it's very, very strange. It does make a little bit more sense in Muggle Quidditch because it's only, I think if you catch the snitch, it's only 30 points. Um, okay. So it's not that unattainable, but catching the snitch is so hard. Yes. Oh, like it's, they make it almost impossible because it's always, in Muggle Quidditch, the snitch is like a person and you have to catch basically like, like the equivalent to a flag that's on their back, like on like, it'd be tied around their hips. Um, and so usually the snitch is like this big wrestler, rugby guy, and he can do whatever he wants to. He can push you to the ground. He can, he, they, they usually pull your broom out from underneath you. So then you have to go run back to your hoops and touch the, the hoops to get back on your broom. Ah, you're just getting beat up by this snitch the whole time. Imagine if Fred and George were a snitch in, in Muggle Quidditch. That'd yeah. be so funny. Oh no. Just beat you up the whole time. And you're just like, and you need to catch the snitch to end the game, like in the books. So the game is just endless. So how do the different ball types work in Muggle Quidditch? Because they're not enchanted. So that's the snitch. How do the bludgers and the quaffle work? From what I've read and everything, I actually did um, a documentary on Quidditch. So I did speak to the Canadian Quidditch and International Quidditch Association. But from what I remember, because this was years ago, isn't the quaffles like a dodgeball almost? More like a volleyball. A volleyball? Yeah. Like a def- it's, this is going to sound terrible, but it's like the quaffles like a deflated volleyball, and then the bludgers are like small um, dodgeballs. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how it plays in the book, because in, in Muggle Quidditch, um, you only have... So there's one quaffle, but, and there's only three bludgers. So there's like... A part of the game is the beaters. You want to have bludger control is what we call it. So like it's so much easier to score points if you have control of the bludgers because if you hit someone with the bludger, they have to get off their broom and go touch their hoops to the end of the game for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, the when I was reading the chapter, it seemed like there's just bludgers. There's only how many? I think there? there's two technically, and they're enchanted, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they're just beating them around. I think it works similarly, except instead of like having to safely get off your broom and walk back to your post, you fall off your broom and land on the ground from like thousands of feet in the air and probably yeah. die. Yeah. On the topic of like positions, because like clearly the the snitch is sort of a position, but how did the other positions work? Like, were you ident- Were you always a seeker, and that was always what you did the whole game? Or did you switch positions? Oh, so usually, um, so usually like, uh, it depends on like your skills. If we had different players that could kind of be, they could really fill in any position, they would excel on that. But usually you had a position you like to play. And so like, that's your assigned position. So when I first started, I was a chaser. So I was handling the quaffle and then... I, I'm actually more of a defensive player, so I actually did not like being a chaser. Yeah. I was the like offense position, oh. even in the books, it's offense. Yes. So then I kind of tried out the my, the next couple of years to be a beater. So I'm playing with like the bludgers, and I found that so much better. Uh, that just fit. I could hit people in the face now. I could be defense and offense. It Basics. was wonderful. But then I only ever filled in. It, this was going to sound terrible, but I only kind of filled... I was a bench warmer for, like, a little bit there because I wasn't the best chaser yeah. for my first year. So the off-pitch seeking was... Like, no one ever catches the snitch off-pitch. So I would just fill in just to get a chance to play the game. And then when they kind of got rid of that position, then I just was kind of transitioned to either chaser or beater. Um, but I've never actually seeked during, like, an on, on-pitch on seeking game. That's... I, I don't have the endurance for that. That's exhausting. Yeah, I feel like you need endurance for that. Yeah. How do they pick who's going to be the snitch? Is it, it's, you're not, they're not on either of the teams, right? No, it, sometimes there could be a player from a different team. Um, usually, um, I think like the, usually like the league and I think a bit of the refs kind of decide who's going to be a good snitch. I think later on there was actually, um, you have to do training, not like, 
I guess not any training, but you have to know the rules to be a snitch. So I think there was like some sort of qualifying thing. You had to pass a test in order to be a snitch during tournaments. Yeah. So we had a couple of our players that could be the snitch. And yeah, they were pretty good. You just toss people to the ground, man. You take their brooms. Yeah. Oh, so it sounds like a fun job. Really, really early on when I was playing, they had something called off-pitch seeking. And they slowly transitioned out of it, I think in my first year. But usually what they mean by off-pitch seeking is the person that's the snitch, they're running around the university campus or wherever the, the, the game, game is. is playing. And there's basically, like, no limits. Like, the ref kind of lays out boundaries. But they could be, like, like kilometer, like two kilometers or more long. And they can hide in rooms, whatever's not locked. So I was, me and the other seeker, we were just, like, running, like, jogging a little bit together, just doing a lap of the canvas just to see if we could find him. We find the flippin' snitch. He's on a bike. <laughs> so I'm running after this guy on a bike. There's no way I can catch him, but he's going back to the pitch. So I'm like, I'll just sprint to the pitch, and we'll just, I'll just try. I'm not even close to this guy. But then as soon as he gets back on the pitch, then we can send in another sneaker for on-pitch sneaking. And that's when it comes, it turns into like a wrestling match almost because people are just like diving at this person that's a snitch trying yeah, to grab the, the ball. The snitch can do whatever he wants to you, but you can't do whatever you want to him. Yeah. We had winter quidditch and the snitch was throwing snowballs at us. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, Shane has a point here. They reference that quidditch being so competitive that sometimes refs end up in the dessert. <laughs> oh, you know what? Spelling is hard. In the desert. <laughs> really in the pudding as they would say in the uk <laughs> the refs end up in the pudding yeah they say the refs ended up in the desert and i want to know like is that because some of the players were like chasing after each other and the ref tried to follow them and they flew all the way to the desert disapparation did they disapparate there i'm assuming that quidditch is, is kind of like like hockey or things here where like sports betting is really big because you know that like i maybe it's not um bad for refs here but maybe like i think over in the uk like refs get and can get like death threats and stuff like people take sports really seriously over there and so it's kind of i feel like that's kind of like the same for like, football like ref, they people think refs made a bad call or they lost money they're they yeah. just kind of like gang up on him okay so you think they ended up in the dessert because not of during gameplay but because of something they did people retaliated after the game or between games. Yeah. Interesting. I just assumed it was during gameplay, like some kind of tragic disapparation accident or the, or the, he was chasing after two seekers who were chasing a snitch and the snitch went really, really far. Even in uh, muggle quidditch, no one, it's not popular to be the ref. Like you, you just make a lot of tough calls. And if people disagree with you, they're going to hound you even after the game. Yeah. Um, it got to the point where I don't know if they made it like an official rule, but at one point, uh, during the couple years that I was playing, they every team had to bring with them a, a ref. So one of your teammates had to get ref certified because we never had enough refs to actually do the game. So there'd be this like one of our poor teammates would be have to ref a game, then put his stuff on to go play a game, and then go back and ref a game. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like because Michael Quidditch, it was so like I feel like the, the the rules were always very vague, especially when I was interviewing them. Like it had rules, but they were they were pretty much it was like you could interpret it in different ways. And I feel like a lot of things they would say, so you could do this, but nothing was ever really enforced. I feel like it'd be really hard to be a ref because like, it's all about like how you interpret the rules. And since it was like this pretty new sport, it's only been around for a couple, maybe like 10 or 15 years. Cause I feel like the first uh, Quidditch team was like a university in the States. And I feel like it was like around, around 2007 or 2008. I think refs in sports in general are often hated because either because they're really bad at their job or they're really good at their job or they're biased like you're always mad at the refs i've well sports always bring out like a lot of emotions in people especially like in canada we have hockey which is really big and i feel like people will say like bad call ref but it's all you always have your team you're biased our dad's a Leafs fan my condolences so he has a lot of issues with the refing yeah Shane is a Habs fan, if anyone cares. <laughs> I also will accept condolences. <laughs> uh, this season didn't happen. I wasn't paying attention. Nothing happened. It's fine. So one thing you had here is um, that Fred and George get uh, confused on the Quidditch pitch and they don't have numbers on their rows. Because I think, I think that was a movieism that had they had the numbers. Yeah, Lee Jordan says either Fred or George hit the bludger and he can't tell which, which to me makes no sense because sports need to have jerseys with numbers because that's how... You keep track of penalties and things. Like, the fact that they wouldn't have numbers on their jerseys boggles my mind. I know they do in the movies, like you said. Like, I think Harry wears seven. Shocking, I know. But 
they don't in the books because otherwise he would know whether or not it was Fred or George, right? So it just to me seems horrible. Like I have never been the announcer of a game, but I've written like game recaps for like hockey games and stuff. And if you're at a game where their jerseys are not easy to read, it is near impossible to keep track of who does what, when, where, and why. And I cannot imagine add to that the fact that not only can they be a distance away from you, they can also be up and down in the air. I cannot imagine. Yeah, especially because Fred and George probably look old. Like, they're just, like, two redheads. Yeah. So if they didn't have a jersey, like, how would you tell them apart anyway? They're twins. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even matter if you're twins. Everyone is just a blur with a slightly different color of hair on top of their head, you know? I don't get it. I think they should have numbers. I think it's dumb that they don't. For announcers out there and scorekeepers out there and everyone calculating all those Quidditch stats. Yeah, how does Madame Who dress if she can't tell, like, I don't know, maybe she has some magic that she's able to tell who's who or something. Like slow down the gameplay. <laughs> On her inner goggles <laughs> yeah. or something. Oh my goodness. I mean, they have the Ominoculars at the Quidditch World Cup that do that. So it's like a technology that exists, but it doesn't sound like anyone's using it at Hogwarts. Because it's, like it's like a school game, so I don't feel like they go all out like they would at like an international game. Yeah. We had that, like, in my later years. Mm-hmm. You could, they started recording all the games, and then you could be like, your captain could like ref. I want to challenge that call. <laughs> they yeah. would be like two guys looking over the like tiny camera to look over yep. the footage. Let's begin like sports nowadays. Anyway, you had a point about the twins wearing watches. Yeah, they mentioned seeing one of the twins' watches, and uh, you shouldn't be wearing jewelry during sports. It's dangerous. You could break your watch if it's expensive, but also it's a piece of metal, and you could flail your hand to reach for a bludger and accidentally smack someone in the face with a watch. It's dangerous. Yeah, I was wondering why they don't. I don't. I didn't actually think about jewelry and stuff because yeah, yeah. Jewelry, usually during you wouldn't be wearing like I'm thinking like girls soccer. Like we weren't supposed to wear like hoop earrings or necklaces or anything because they could get like tugged or like ripped or anything. Yeah. Yeah, in Muggle Quidditch, they before each game the ref checks each team, so you all line up in a line, and he makes sure you're not wearing any jewelry, no earrings. Um, now they start checking to make sure you're wearing a mouth guard. And they also check your shoes because you can, it is, there's no, um, you can wear runners or you can wear cleats. A lot of people wear cleats. It's easier to move Run. around on the yeah. grass. Um, but you can't wear the spike cleats, which they have in rugby that are the oh, sharp ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people have been sliced. Yeah, <laughs> so I can now see that. that is a rule. So when we, we describe like the rules and stuff, um, we know that Dean is a really big uh, football fan, which would be, I guess, um, soccer for us. But um, he's called a call vote for a red card, and it kind of adds that realism because I think most people reading the books would know soccer, football rules, sports rules, because most sports have like penalties or cards like that. So it definitely kind of adds like you're trying to figure out what the sport, what all the rules are along with Harry, and this kind of be like, okay, that makes sense. Dean wants them to be like thrown out of the game, and even Hagrid agrees with him, which is funny because in Muggle Quidditch there are. <laughs> Red cards, and yep. you do get thrown out of a game if you're like. I mean, in the Quidditch in the books, they do have penalties, but I feel like yeah. they don't really get penalties a lot. Like some people no. should be thrown out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think every sport should have the uh, ability to throw players out who are being do weird things or break the rules or hurt other players intentionally. I got a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, but that's because I forgot or knew it was a new rule. Oh. But my my team, we had bludger control. And um, I went to go, I had a bludger, but the team was coming towards us to come get the bludger. So I was just going to throw the bludger further away. So they had to run a little bit more, but that's illegal. So then I lost bludger control and I had to go, I think I had to go get off my broom and start back at the the hoops, which wasn't that far, but I was like, as soon as I did it, I was like, Oh, I know, I know. And the ref's on. I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I did it wrong. I'm sorry. That doesn't seem unsportsmanlike. I thought you were going to, like, whack him in the face with a bludger or something. I liked the reading the chapter again because um, head beats or face beats were so common in our Quidditch growing up. Like, our team was almost known for face beats. The Guelph team was aggressive. <laughs> And I liked that they were, like, mentioning that with, like, the bludgers. Oh, they're going for their head. And I was like, yes, face beats. But... They made a new rule, like, you can't do it aggressively. Like, there has to be... You can just gently chuck the ball in the face of the opposition? (laughs) Yeah, like, basically, it has to be, like, their intention. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you can't do it... It has to be a part of the game, so you can't, like, randomly walk up to someone and hit them as hard as they can in the face if they don't have the ball. Like, what's the point of that? So, I guess there's a new rule for, like... I think it's, like, aggressive play or something like that. You can't just, like, try to break people's noses for fun. But, man, there was some pretty good face beats. I've, I've taken some in the, in the face. Yeah, it's not I remember. Fun. 
you cry and you just suck it back in. Uh, one of the things I find interesting about real, real Quidditch is sort of how Brittany touched down on it being like a real competitive sport that like ex-football players go out and play. Because I went to tryouts for the Queen's University Quidditch team. I showed up. I wore my Slytherin scarf. I was like, me and the other scrawny nerds are gonna run around with broomsticks. And the first thing they had us do was run laps. And after my first lap, I just left and went home. <laughs> I was like, never mind. I've made a mistake. Yeah, sounds familiar. No, it was actually insane. And you have to do, like, it's full contact, even though it's co-ed. So, like, you have people, it's just one-arm tackles, but you still go down hard. I think my very first game, I had a guy that was, like, 6'2", probably, like, 200 pounds, just completely knock me to the ground and you just have to get up and keep going no helmets no we didn't even have mouth guards at the they time they weren't like and they weren't like official like you, you could wear them if you wanted to but they weren't like insisted upon yeah just crazy the last my last year playing they actually we, you had to wear mouth guards because too many people were getting concussions oh my gosh. and we were losing players oh my gosh <laughs> So Quidditch really is a violent sport, regardless of if you're magic or muggle. Anyway, I was going to talk about my Quidditch documentary. So I was in a film program, obviously. So we had to make a documentary in our second year. And Brittany had joined the Quidditch team, like, the year before. So I was like, you know what? Quidditch would be a really cool thing to do a documentary on. And Queens, which the school Shane and I went to, was the closest school to me. And they had a team. So thinking of Quidditch, I always thought it was just, like, really nerdy. And it'd just be, like, really funny to watch and everything. But when I was interviewing all these players, I, I thought majority of the players would be Harry Potter fans. But they were, like, the minority. Most people knew the movies, obviously. But they didn't join the team because of Harry Potter. They joined it because they were athletes and they wanted a, a new game to play. Most were, like, ex-football or rugby players that just wanted to play something else because they couldn't keep playing rugby or football because it was it took too much time up but Quidditch was fine because there wasn't as many tournaments and it was pretty like I guess the training wasn't as severe as it would be for other sports but yeah it blew my mind but it was very interesting to learn and just to learn too I obviously interviewed um the team Canada kind of coordinator and like there's so many teams across Canada they have tournaments across Canada Brittany's obviously gone to like different provinces to go play and also there's an international team as well which is crazy. And there's teams that all over the world, it's like this whole mini thing. It's so crazy to think it came from just this mini thing, like this random sport mentioned in a children's book. Yeah. We have, um, there's supposed to be a, a, I don't know if they still have it, um, but when I was playing, they had it, like it was a gender-based rule. Yeah. Um, so you had to have at least, um, like out of the, I think there's six players total on the pitch, so like two players had to identify as like a different gender. You can, however you identify, like that's yeah. okay. Um, but just to make sure it was, like, actually co-ed. Because they wanted yeah. Quidditch to stay co-ed. That's nice. Yeah, and the only thing now is I'm glad there's more um, protective equipment. Like Brittany said before, like, mouth guards weren't, like, mandatory. They were just, like, suggested. Because I watched one of her games. The first game I saw, I didn't realize how, like, aggressive it was. Because I heard about it and everything, and she described it. And I've seen videos, and it looked funny, it looked fun. And then watching an actual game, like, it's aggressive and violent. Yeah. I went to a tournament once to watch, and I was blown away. <laughs> By the violence and the actual physicality involved. So many concussions. Aren't you glad so you didn't join many. the team, Shane? <laughs> I mean, after they asked us to run laps and I'd ran one and realized the error of my ways, I was, there was no way I was making that team anyway. <laughs> you actually came out when I was filming my documentary to watch some of the practices and hang out with me. I was like, wow, this looks exhausting as I sat there eating snacks. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was pretty crazy, all of the work they were doing. And I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I like it. I will say the like the one thing that differs from the books because like the books has absolutely no. I mean, there's relationships in the books, but mm -hmm. like no sexy time is ever mentioned. Oh yes. Oh my god, the quidcest, insane, just insane. <laughs> so much drama. <laughs> this isn't a children's podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we are not a children's podcast. At least we swear half the time on this podcast. I was going to say, though, maybe there's no, we don't know all the relationships in the Quidditch team because Harry's oblivious and doesn't pay attention to anything. That's true. It, 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 well, we know that Fred takes Angelina to the Yule Ball. Very yeah. true. But we know that George marries her. So clearly there's some tomfoolery about there. And then Harry's in love with Ginny. And I'm sure everyone was in love with Oliver Wood at some point. It's all Harry's fault for not paying attention. Quidzest. <laughs> well, you think Harry drink Harry dates Cho Chang and she's on the opposite team, yeah. too. Drama. Oh, we we had some of that too. Oh, sleeping with the enemy or studying with the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I think our our real downside was there was too many relationships 
on the same team. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be sustained. When they start like mixing up around, it probably causes a lot of drama. Because you actually think about that. When Dean and Jenny, Dean was on the team when he's dating Jenny, and then they broke up. And then obviously her and Harry had vibes, and he was yeah. not happy about it. Yeah. So that's why you don't date people on your team. Yeah, right. That was a whole thing. Yeah. At one time, it got, it got, our team got so messy that like me and a couple other players weren't going to go to the tournament because we were all pissed off. Um, we all went. We all went. We all sucked it up and went. But it was a disaster. Even in the books, don't don't date people on your Quidditch team. This is good advice for the, our listeners. All 22 of them. I thought I met the Ron to my Hermione. Turns out I was lavender brown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you got eaten alive by a werewolf? That's awful. <laughs> kind of, at the end there. <laughs> but you found your other, your other half, so. I, I found a nice muggle boy. Oh, you found a nice muggle boy. In the end. One thing that's pretty interesting is that the U.S. Quidditch and, yeah, so the U.S.Q., which is U.S. Quidditch, and Major League, Major League Quidditch have released a statement that they are going to be selecting a new name for the real-life version of Quidditch, and that they'll be conducting surveys over the next few months to guide a decision for this. And so it looks like they've cited reasons being that they don't want to associate themselves with the author, given her transphobic statements, and also that they want more opportunities for the sport, as I believe a lot of opportunities they can't get because of the Harry Potter and Quidditch trademarks. What do you think about this, Brittany, since you actually um, played Quidditch and you kind of had like a firsthand experience on those kind of things? I am honestly not surprised that like there be a movement to change the name because like a majority, I would say like on our team, like maybe half of us were like Harry Potter nerds, the other half, um, maybe they watched the movies, but they weren't super interested. And we had like a couple of players that like never... I'd never seen a movie, didn't know what Quidditch was until they started playing. Um, and I think just uh, kind of making it its own thing would, I don't know, just kind of grow the sport into something new. I don't know. I think it'd be fun. But it depends on what the name is, because some of the names I saw floating around were quite stupid. <laughs> oh God, I haven't even looked at the, the actual names yet. But um, I was wondering, because I haven't seen anything from Quidditch Canada yet. So do you think Quidditch Canada will follow suit with um, Quidditch US? As with the... Uh, majority of things i think we're going to be a couple at least a couple years behind the states as as usual isn't it a joke that like on how much your mother that the 80s didn't come to canada till like 1995 or something probably <laughs> yeah but it will be interesting because i also noticed when i did my documentary at queen's university that a lot of the students that were on the team weren't harry potter fans they are aware of it but they were in it more for the sport so if, if they want to take the sport more seriously and get broadcasting rights, more sponsorships. They have to move away from the trademarks because that's going to be impeding them. But yes, very interesting to see how it goes. And Yeah, we have um, like a meme page. It's called The Art of Beating that I follow. And it's just like a, a meme page for like beaters. Um, but they're making fun of the, the post, like renamed footage and some of the, the options uh, that they were making fun of were quid ball, quadruball, Broom ball, but that already exists apparently. Um, quid strike quicker, duck duck goose. Yeah, I'm, I I'm curious to see what kind of names they come up with because I'm not sure like what you could call it. They wanted to call it um, Quid Game after the Netflix show Squid Game. Oh man, but like anything that could age uh, very poorly. It's true. This is quite true. If anyone has any ideas of what they should rename Quidditch to for real life Muggle Quidditch, let us know because apparently they really need some help. Yeah, we need we need some better names, please. It's such another beautiful example of how the Harry Potter fandom or things that existed in the Harry Potter world have grown beyond the books and grown sort of away from the author. You know, we've created so many real tangible things from that work that have nothing really to do with the author anymore. They played no part in it. And it's nice to see that people can still enjoy that. And we've sort of, as a society, us and even just sports fans and not Harry Potter fans, have repurposed that and turned it into something that sounds terribly painful, but sounds fun. <laughs> they bring joy. Yeah. What would be your favorite uh, memory or your favorite times of just be being in the, on the Quidditch team? Because you were on the oh Quidditch team for God. four years. Uh, some great memories, some, some sad memories. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's just a, like a wonderful 
like community like our one of our captains used to say like um we were at first we were more of like a drinking team than a quidge team but like as the sport grew sort of the team grew so like, we went from like having I think when they very first started they were like it was like maybe like 10 of them together like they barely had enough for subs and then my first year I think we had like 20 25 kids which was great and then we just kept we grew enough to have two teams so it was amazing watching our team grow. But I loved like the tournaments and like uh, when we won, we my last year we won silver at nationals in British Columbia and like the thrill of like yeah oh, it was it was crazy it was just crazy yeah yeah it just it's so interesting to see how this just was a book thing and it became the fans really took this in hand and made it what it is like this the author has something to do with this this is just something that the people enjoyed and they made it into this whole like international thing like there's Quidditch teams all over the world and like there's tournaments that are like in the US and Canada and everywhere yeah. really yeah so do you guys have any closing remarks on the chapter yes I have lots of things to say but I guess to to try and encourage interaction I would say hey there listeners Hermione went sort of full Gryffindor when she decided to light Snape on fire to distract him but what other ways could you distract Severus Snape to try and save Harry Potter so put your favorite Snape distracting methods in the comments. I won't put mine because we all know what mine is, but... Oh, I have a good one. <laughs> you don't want to know. I don't want to traumatize Tori, but feel free to add your distracting methods in the comments because that's fun. We don't want to know what yours is. It can't be said. It's It cannot be said out loud. Seeing Hermione as a part of Harry and Ron's kind of group, now that they're kind of fully the golden trio and how each kind of complement each other and how they, well they work together as a group. I, I, that's really fun. How about you, Brittany? Do you have any things from the chapter that you thought were really good? I just I just want Harry to play more Quidditch. Yeah. Oh, he will. We're not even going to get started on how mad we are there was no Quidditch in the fourth movie because that's rude. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's technically like the Quidditch um, World Cup. But they didn't show us the Quidditch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't show us the Quidditch. They're like, hey, you know what's exciting? The Quidditch World Cup. Everybody's going to the Quidditch World Cup. We're going to do the Quidditch World Cup. We're starting the Quidditch World Cup. Bam. Cup over. <laughs> they showed us none. We saw no Quidditch World Cup. I wanted to see the Wierenski faint. The Wierenski faint. You know? Those classic techniques. Oh, and if you know where Quidditch team is, join. Join yeah. the Quidditch team. I'll put a link in the description for uh, the International Quidditch Association and Team Canada so you can kind of get some information if you're interested in, in doing some muggle Quidditch. But yeah, check out your university or college campus. They might have a team. Woot woot! All right, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And thanks, Brittany, for being our first ever guest on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so if you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, you can reach out to us at Potter Visited on all the social media platforms, or you can email us at pottervisitedpodcast at gmail.com and tune in next time when we dive into the next chapter, chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! <laughs> Bye! Bye.